God's power, uh, that is our focus. God's power to save us, and aren't we grateful for that? God's power to transform us as well. I think sometimes we're grateful to grab hold of God's power to save us and a little more reluctant uh, to have God's power transform us, to change us from who we are, who we were, to who we might be uh, as followers of Jesus. But hopefully this morning we'll see uh, that that is very good news. Uh, now, I also want to remind you that uh, the context of Romans 12 and, and the following chapters, where we head into thinking about this transformation and, and our response to God's uh, mercy to us, is just a reminder that this is all in the context of the enviable lives that we've been called to live in response to God's mercy. To live an enviable life so that those who don't know Jesus will look at the life that we have because we do know Jesus. And they will want to have it for themselves. I remember that's what we saw last week in Romans 11, God's, God's great plan of salvation that he set apart a nation for himself. And, and their mission was to live that kind of life, to be a light to the nations. So that all the nations around them would say, wow, this, this, who, what other nation has a God who lives with them, who lives among them, a God who, who they can talk to, a God who loves them, a God who showers his blessings upon them. Now, Israel failed at that, uh, and God uh, instead turned his attention to the Gentiles, not, not to cast Israel aside, but rather to turn his attention to the Gentiles, to reveal the gospel and his great love in Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, so that they might, so that we might become that kind of, that kind of people that lives an enviable life, and so provoke uh, the, uh, the Israelites to envy us and to want what we have. This is God's mission plan, to transform us, not just in, as individuals scattered around the place, but to transform us as a people for his mission. So that, as we read in uh, chapter 11, verse 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. This is God's plan, to have mercy on the world that they might be saved. Now, one other thing uh, before we pray and jump into the passage, and that is, it's a bit of an, an apology, really. Uh, if you've been uh, following along in your studies and you notice that all the uh, um, all the weeks, uh, all the passages that we're going through in this half of the letter, uh, I've titled uh, Something Love, and each of those adjectives begins with the letter C. Uh, that's just a little thing that I just kind of can't help myself from doing. And it was a bit of a stretch this week. A corporeal love, it just means bodily. Okay, but bodily starts with B, and uh, so I had to go with corporeal. Anyway, with that said, how about we pray and uh, pray that I wouldn't use any more of those kinds of words uh, as I preach. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word that it is actually quite plain. Uh, it's, it's, it's certainly got lots of detail and it's very rich, um, but your plans, your purpose, uh, your gospel, your good news is actually very clear to us. And so we pray that you will help us um, have clarity this morning about the life that your gospel enables in us, the life that your gospel calls us to, our, our proper, our reasonable response to your love to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will help us to want to live that life, to want it so much that nothing stands in our way, that, that we don't let things get in the way of us living that life together and helping each other to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you think you have a beautiful body. 
Uh, maybe you do. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe you don't. Uh, probably you don't care. Hopefully you don't care whether you have a beautiful body or not. But you know what? Moving from Lismore in regional New South Wales to the Gold Coast, one thing that you notice is that there are a lot of people who do seem to care very much about having a beautiful body around here. In fact, all you've got to do is uh, drive around a bit and it's not just the people that you see, but on every street corner pretty much there is a what? Not a church, it's a gym. There's a gym pretty much anywhere the eye can see. It's amazing actually how many gyms there are and that there must be enough people who are members of those gyms to sustain them all. Uh, it's as if the gym is the new church. It's, it's the temple where we go to uh, build up ourselves, build up our body uh, and uh, worship the idol that is uh, the self and, and not really the self even, but just the outer the outer self, it's, it's quite amazing that it's come to this. But whether or not you're a member of a gym, uh, whether or not you care about your body and whether it's beautiful or not, I wanna show you this morning that even if you don't have a beautiful body, you are part of one. This is, this is the good news that we get to discover this morning in Romans chapter 12, that if we are followers of Jesus and have been united to him and therefore united to each other, then we are part of a beautiful body, a body that is beautiful in its design, in its purpose, and a body that is beautiful to the one who made it. Uh, and that's what we get to see this morning. In today's short passage, Paul says that if we belong to Jesus, then we belong to his body. And that means that we belong to each other, just as organically as the fingers of your hand belong to, the, to that hand. Uh, just hold up your hand, have a look at it. Uh, can you imagine the fingers not being attached to the hand? Uh, you know, imagine if you lost one of those fingers, it would be a significant loss. Imagine if one of those fingers just kind of went rogue and, and wouldn't do what you wanted it to do. That, that, that would be very difficult as well, wouldn't it? Or imagine if those fingers just decided to go it alone and, and just kind of decapitate or whatever that would be themselves, remove themselves from the hand. What an odd thing that would be. Ridiculous, in fact. See, the reality of the body is that we rely on every part of our body to do its job, whether that's the fingers or the hand or, or whatever part. We rely on each part to do its job and to do it well, to do it cooperatively. And so it is in Christ's body, the church. Every one of us is a member. Every one of us has a crucial part to play. And the church functions well when each one of us plays that part. Now, before Paul launches into, uh, from theory and into practice, before he goes from, I guess, the theology of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ uh, and goes into issuing instructions about how we ought to live in response, he makes sure that his hearers first have the right motive, the right heart in all of this. And that right motive has to be one thing and one thing only, and that is God's mercy to us in Christ. God's mercy to us in Christ. That's why this chapter, chapter 12, starts with the word, therefore, have a look, chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. You see, all the way through the first 11 chapters of Romans, uh, Paul has 
built the case that belonging to God is only ever the fruit of his mercy to us. Think of some of the really kind of key verses that we've come across throughout Romans. Uh, For example, chapter 3, verse 21. Remember, we read at the start in the first couple of chapters that uh, because of sin, no matter whether what our background, uh, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter, we're all slaves to sin. We've all turned away from God and, and we there, therefore are all under his judgment because of our unrighteousness. But then in chapter 3, verse 21, we learn that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Instead, we read, but now, apart from the law, you know, not requiring us to meet the law and its requirements, the righteousness of God has been made known. And this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Our righteousness, our rightness with God is a gift from God. It is, it is purely his mercy that allows us uh, to be right before God and therefore uh, to have access to him, to have a relationship with him. A couple of chapters over in chapter 5, verse 8, there's that beautiful description of God's love for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Do you hear the loud note of mercy there? While we were still sinners, Christ gave up everything for us. That's God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ. And it's all the way through the first 11 chapters of Romans. And so as Paul moves into talking about our response, he makes it really clear that we must keep God's mercy in view that we can't leave it behind just because we've done with those chapters and, and now move on. Rather, we've got to, it's like we've got to keep God and his mercy on speaker view. I don't know if you've kind of played with the different views on Zoom, how you can sort of toggle uh, as to which one is the main uh, screen and which one is the little box up here. You know, I think in life, uh, too often what we do is we kind of put ourselves in the main screen and we put God and his mercy and what he's done up here in the little screen. We've got to keep God and his mercy on the big screen right in front of us, his mercy, so that when we play our part in the body, it's always in response to what he's done for us. And here's why. Here's why it's so important. Because if we forget God's mercy, then we'll hear these coming commands and and instructions. We'll hear them all wrong. I reckon there are at least three ways that we can get them wrong. Here, Here are three ways. One way that we could get it wrong is we could do what God says. We could obey, but do it in order to win God's favour. If we forget that God has been merciful to us, we could think that we have to earn our relationship with him. And so then, in that case, our focus would all be on our sacrifice. See, we're encouraged to offer, verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But if we lose sight of God's mercy, then our focus will be on us and the sacrifice that we're making. We'll think, we'll say to God, look, look, God, look what I'm doing for you. But if we have a look back at just a couple of verses at chapter 11, verse 35, we read, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? See, God doesn't need anything from us. God is perfectly capable and he's proven it to us of doing everything that needs to be done to make us right, to make us righteous, to cleanse us, to offer us forgiveness and to offer us eternal life. God's done it all. He doesn't need anything from us. He can't be in our debt no matter how much we give to him. Rather, if we keep God's mercy in view, 
then our sacrifice will be a humble offering of thanksgiving to God. Never anything that is required from him uh, to earn our salvation. Uh, it's in response to his favour, already freely given. And that's good news. So let's keep God's mercy in view. Another way we could get it wrong, another false motive that we could slip into if we lose sight of God's mercy, is to think of his commands as the difficult demands of a hard taskmaster, a God with a whip and a stern look on his face. But keeping God's mercy in view, we won't make that mistake. Because God's mercy assures us, remember, that God is always for us. God is always for us. God, remember, no matter what the circumstances we read in chapter 8, no matter what is going on in our life, we can be confident that God is always for us. He's given us his best. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ. He is for us in everything. He's not going to hold back any good thing from us. And that means that we can trust that whatever God commands of us, whatever he instructs us to do, even if it is inconvenient or difficult, and often it is, it's actually good for us at the same time. God is for us. Another way of saying this is simply that whatever God wants from us, he also wants for us. You get that? He does want something from us, but it is always for us as well. So there are two false ways that we can, we can go wrong if we lose sight of God's mercy. But perhaps the most likely and most common result of failing to keep God's mercy in view is that we just won't love him. It's God's mercy for us that, that wins us over. When we realise how unworthy we are and how much he has done for us, that's where love grows. That's where God's love gets poured out into our hearts and starts to well up and starts to overflow. But if we lose sight of God's mercy, we just won't love him and so we won't be bothered to keep his commands at all. This is, the, this is the heart of the problem, I think, really, when it comes to following Jesus. Without a heart filled to the brim with God's mercy, then what we'll do is we will grab hold of what's on offer. We'll go, forgiveness of sins, free. Great, I'll have some of that. A, a life under grace, awesome. You know? and, and eternal life at the end, <laughs> that's amazing. And we'll just run with the goodies like a kid in a candy shop and we'll run out the door and get on with life with no regard for God or his mercy or his love and no love for him ourselves. So before we move on and start thinking about what it looks like to love God and to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, I first want to ask you, I have to ask you, what are you doing to make sure that you keep God's mercy in view? Are you fighting for a good vantage point and seeing that nothing gets in the way? It takes some effort to do this, you see. I kind of imagine Zacchaeus climbing up in the tree. Is that you? Are you fighting for a good vantage point of God's mercy and making sure that the crowds around don't get in the way? Let me offer three very simple and in a way very obvious suggestions for how you can do this. The first thing is to be reading your Bible. You know that book, uh, it might kind of be faux leather and it sort of sits somewhere 
somewhere under perhaps under other things or books or whatever somewhere in your house you got to pull that out and you got to open it up and you got to read what's there because it's god's word to you and what he reveals there is his mercy and let me encourage you i mean all the bible is god's word all the bible is helpful and useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness but let me encourage you to have as a steady part of your diet of biblical reading the letters of the new testament the letters of the new testament because this is where paul peter james john those writers they reflect on god's mercy to us in jesus christ and they're always bringing it to the fore and always reminding us of god's mercy if you want to keep god's mercy in view then read your bible Another really crucial part of keeping God's mercy in view, I think, is praying, again, very obvious, but particularly confessing your sin. See how that's going to work? See, if you are confessing your sin regularly, if you're being honest with God about what's going on in your heart and the way that plays out in your life, then you're going to be aware of how great God's mercy. You're going to be more aware of how great God's mercy and his grace to you are because you're very aware of how little you deserve it and yet how freely he gives it see confessing your sin it's not fun it's awkward it's difficult but it actually helps you to keep god's mercy in view helps you to love god uh, and then will help you to live for god in response and the third thing uh, that I think is really crucial if we're going to live in view of God's mercy is to remove anything that's in the way, anything that might be blocking your view because there's so much that can get in the way, isn't there? Life is full, but often it's full of things that are actually going to distract and block our view from God's mercy. And there are so many of them that I just can't even start naming them. And they're always very particular. Uh, to each one of us, to our own circumstances. But consider, are there things that are just kind of too much in the foreground of your life, blocking your view and hampering your ability to see God and his mercy? So, therefore, in view of God's mercy, what? One, one verse down. We're one verse in, folks. Uh, and... I've got minus one minute uh, to uh, cover the rest, but that's okay. I had planned to do it uh, much faster. So what then does it actually look like to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? That's what it says there. Offer our body, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Well, in other words, how do we love God truly in view of his mercy? Well, the surprising answer to that question, how do we love God, is that we love God by loving each other. I wonder if you can see that in the passage. That's why Paul talks about knowing God's will in verse 2 and then expands on what God's will is in the rest of the, the verse, uh, verses, rest of the passage, verses 3 to 8, loving each other. But first notice uh, the contrast in verse 2 between being conformed and being transformed. Read verse 2 with me. Do not... This is how you live uh, as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve, that is to know what God's will is, his good, 
pleasing and perfect will. What does it mean to be conformed to the pattern of this world? Well, I think if we go down to the next verse, we find another do not, and that do not explains this do not. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, it says there in verse 3. See, conformity to the pattern of this world, the, the word conform literally in the Greek means take the mould, take the shape of the world. Think of that. You know, there's a world and it's got all its values and all its priorities. And there's a risk that living in that world, we just kind of get poured into it and take its shape. It's a real risk. Um, but it's all about thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. That's what the world does. It thinks of itself more highly than it ought. That is that it encourages us, each one of us as individuals, to put ourselves and our plans and our desires at the centre of our little universe. That's how we're encouraged to live, isn't it? That's what it means to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We, we take on, we're encouraged to take on a, pardon my use of the English language here, but a, not an identity, and you'll see why I'm doing this in a minute, but a me-identity, okay? So, so me, I, me, we put me at the centre of our view of what life is all about. And we're all prone to this. It's our natural state. It's the pattern of the world. 7.8 billion people serving themselves and wondering why it's not working. Wondering why everything is in such a mess. But instead of that, Paul urges us to undergo a very different kind of formation. A transformation. Not a, not a conformity, but a transformation. Literally, a metamorphosis, that's the Greek word behind here, you know, metamorphosis, like inside out, the butterfly, sorry, the grub becoming a butterfly, a radical change from the inside out. And it's a radical change that happens when we think of ourselves not more highly than we ought, but rather with sober judgment as things truly are, as things are in view of God's mercy, what God has revealed to us in the gospel. It, it ha that's how it happens. And when we do that, when we do think of ourselves with sober judgment in view of God's mercy to us, something amazing happens. Our world turns upside down and our me identity, right? Here's my, my M for a me. Right? Our me identity gets turned upside down. And what do we get? We get a we identity. You see that? This is the big transformation, right? We turn from thinking of ourselves primarily as individuals after our own interests and instead we start thinking of ourselves in relationship to each other, in relationship to others who belong to Jesus. And to illustrate this, Paul calls us members of one body. Now, membership here isn't like kind of being a member of a club where you kind of get a few benefits here and there. You might sort of get your number called out in the member's badge or, or whatever it is. Uh, but most of the time you don't sort of, it's not crucial to your identity. Uh, here, uh, it's an integrated view, like, like the body built into the design so that the member that is each one of us is useless when we're apart from the body and the body is depleted by our absence or if we're not functioning as we should. And Paul drives this home in verse five, where he says, each member belongs to all the others. You see that? Have a look. Verse 5. In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
Now that is a very strong statement. Let me make it even clearer. We are owned by each other. Now I wonder how that makes you feel. I wonder if that is in fact a little scary to you to think that you are owned by your brothers and sisters in Christ, that they have a right to you, that you have a responsibility to them, not an optional one, but a, a necessary responsibility to live your life for the good of those that you belong to, for the good of the body, for the good of the whole. But I wonder if perhaps as well as being scary to you, it might actually be enticing. That is, that, yeah, if you could, if others would, you would actually like to belong to a community, to a people that were like that, that, that loved each other so well that they were like a body, functioning perfectly together, each member playing its part. Now, we all know the pleasure of a body that's working well, maybe not our own, but uh, we all know what it's like to look at a body that is at, in peak performance. I was taking Angus to, uh, to his one and only game of hockey for the year uh, so far before everything got locked down. And uh, it was over at Runaway Bay and they've got a big athletics track there. And we had to walk past the athletics track and had a really good view of all these hurdlers practicing hurdling. Man, that is an incredible thing to watch. Just the way that they can take five quick strides between the hurdles and then just spring out and over those hurdles, and then again and again, and you just look at the power and the speed, and you think, my goodness, that is a body that is doing what it's meant to do, or at least doing what it can do. Body uh, that, and our body, that is us as a body, we, when we're transformed by God's mercy, can be just that kind of body. That is a body that makes the world go, wow, wow, how do they do that? How do they love one another so well? Because remember, folks, that chapters 12 to 16 are all about God's mission that is achieved as we live this enviable life. It's, it's not just for our own good, though it is for our own good, but it's so that the world sees how good it is to belong to the good and gracious God. And it's this kind of life in the body that, where we're living for each other that Paul describes in verses six to eight. I'm not going to go into each of these gifts in any detail um, because I think that in some ways they're probably particular gifts that he uh, is mentioning specifically for the context of the Romans and it's certainly not an exhaustive list. Uh, Paul writes other lists in the New Testament and they include other things, other gifts. But look at these, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. Now, you don't have to just kind of choose something from that list if you're thinking about your own gifts. The point of the list is that God has given each member of the body gifts to use for the sake of the body. You have gifts that you can use. There are things that you are good at that are a blessing to the body of Christ. And God urges you through his prophet, through his apostle, sorry, Paul, to use those gifts, to put them into practice, in view of God's mercy, to understand how you've been united to the other members of the body so that you will use what God has given you for the good of the whole. Now, I reckon that most of us want to play our part in the body of Christ 
but I also know that things get in the way. Uh, two things that I think often get in the way are selfishness and busyness. Now, that might sound like a harsh call. You might not think of yourself as a selfish person, but I think that really there's, there's selfishness in each one of us and being called to serve sort of provokes that selfishness within us. The reality is that it is a sacrifice to serve. We're, we're urged to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, continual sacrifices. And it's easier not to, isn't it? It's been interesting, even though lockdown has been hard, we have heard lots of people say, I'm kind of enjoying it. And I think that part of what people are enjoying is that they're sort of, it's, it's a lot easier not to have much to do with other people. To actually invest in the lives of other people is a sacrifice. It's hard to do. And folks, I want to call you out of lockdown. God's word calls you out of lockdown. It calls you to make, calls us to make every effort that we can to keep contributing with the gifts that God has given us for the good of the body of Jesus. Because God has made us and he has saved us and he has given us gifts, not for our own benefit, but for each other's benefit and for God's glory and his mission in the world. So selfishness gets in the way and the other thing that gets in the way so often is our busyness. Aren't we busy people? You know, it's, it's, you ask someone how they're doing and they'll either say they're busy or they're tired or both, uh, more than likely. It's almost, I can't remember if I've said this before, but sometimes I imagine myself walking through the, the uh, graveyard of the future and the epitaph just says, here lies so-and-so, he was busy. Wow. You know, what a, sad, what a sad thing to say. But that's what we say to each other, so it might as well be what's on our tombstone. Folks, let me tell you clearly that if we are busy with the things of this world, then what we're doing is we're just conforming to the pattern of the world. And I wonder if maybe, if maybe lockdown is a bit of a blessing because it gives us an opportunity to reset. Some of the things have stopped happening and, and maybe we ought to be asking, should they start again? That is, what are we being busy with? Are we being busy with using the gifts that God has given us for each other's benefit looking for every opportunity to contribute to the life of the body of Jesus Christ so that it can become the enviable body that will let the world know how good our God is. So that we will serve with the right attitude in view of God's mercy. Notice at the end of the list that Paul starts talking about how we use our gifts. That is, if it is giving, then give generously. Uh, if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know how you serve with the right attitude? It's when you've got the right motive. When we're giving, when we understand God's goals for his body and when we're serving out of the motive of mercy that he has given us. Now, you might want to know what your gifts are. Here's a few tips. What are you good at? Use that for the good of the body. What do you enjoy doing? Use that for the good of the body. What are the needs around you? And do you have opportunity to meet those needs? Uh, often it's just simply looking at 
an individual person and trying to work out how you could help them, giving it a crack and maybe discovering gifts that God has given you in that way. So I want to encourage you, church family, both in this time of lockdown where we're sort of scattered and perhaps feeling a bit disconnected and dismembered as the body, but also as we move back together and as we're brought back together and it's clearer that we are in relationship with each other in, in this body of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to make every effort to keep God's mercy in view and as a consequence to be set free to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God, the only true and proper and reasonable response to God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ. You're already doing it, but let me encourage you to do it all the more because God has been so merciful to us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, deep, deep mercy to us in Jesus Christ. We'll never understand it as we should, but help us to keep it in view, to continually revisit uh, what your word has to say about your love for us and how much you've given for us so that we will be motivated to live in response, so that we will, we will be motivated, rightly motivated, out of full hearts to live for each other, to live no longer, to, to, to stop thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought and rather to see our part in the body as just kind of integral members of one great whole so that we will serve and serve well and serve willingly and so that your body would be built up, that would grow to maturity so that the world will look at us and go, wow, how is that possible? So that our answer might be because of the mercy of God to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.